Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Lorraine Copes, life coach, procurement specialist and diversity and inclusion champion. Coming up on today's show... Lorraine highlights some of the perks of being in procurement. You know, my palate is not trained to taste wine, but you better believe Lorraine was in the room drinking the wine. Phil has an identity crisis. If you need a, a man guinea pig, by the way, I'm, I'm right here. And Lorraine hints that she may be a bit of a foodie. And I'll never forget Bob Durkin, who was the menu development manager at the time, said to me, Lorraine, this is a tasting, not a buffet. All that and so much more as we chat through Lorraine's story and journey to date. Lorraine has an excellent story from start to finish, which now sees her wearing three equally exceptional hats and is a shining example of what you can achieve when you pursue your career with purpose. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week telling the amazing and always amusing stories from hospitality. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share these stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, we move into the world of procurement and we chat to someone who has worked in some incredibly recognisable brands, such as TFI Friday. It's actually TGI Friday. I actually wrote down TFI. I can't believe that. <laughs> I'm showing my age now as well there with that illusion. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, that's a good start, isn't it? Shake Shack, Gordon Ramsay and Corbin and King, to name but a few, uh, now finds herself as a procurement consultant with Jemison Consultancy Limited. Did I get that right? You did, yes. Going going well so far, uh, as well as founding Be Inclusive Hospitality and also offering herself as a career and life coach. So I am delighted to welcome Lorraine Copes. Hi, Bill. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yes, very good indeed. Now, did I actually, I didn't even ask you this, did I pronounce your name correctly as well? You did, you did. Okay, right. I got My heart's beating here, thinking of uh, this, <laughs> what are we going, one minute and how many mistakes have, may I have made already? You're a human. But, very good. Yes, I like this. I like your style. You can keep that standard up. That's great. Where in the world are you today? Um, I am in London, South East London. Yeah. Sunny South East London. Yeah, well, I, uh, I've I've made a point of exploring the weather on quite a lot of podcasts recently, so I'm not going to yeah. go there today. Yeah. I don't okay. want to be known as forecaster Phil. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, from that intro that I uh, I just gave you there, yeah, beyond the the one or two moments of balls up, the mm-hmm. uh, it seems that you are one busy lady. I am, yes, very busy, but um, created intentionally. And yep. you know what? I'd actually describe myself as a, a purpose-led lady as opposed to busy because yep. each and every like part of my career, you know, the puzzle is is made up of things that I am hugely passionate about. And I'd, I'd say my overarching mission is helping people to move forward. So, you know, from a procurement perspective, I help businesses, quality-led businesses to become more profitable. From a life coaching perspective, I work largely with female leaders and entrepreneurs who want to move themselves personally or their businesses forward. And then Mm -hmm. Be Inclusive Hospitality, similarly, it has a mission to accelerate race equality within the hospitality sector. And it's about helping people again to move forward and upwards within their, their lives through education, through training and through development. Yeah. And well, I am absolutely taking that reframe away with me uh, mm-hmm. in terms of now I am definitely going to be purpose led yeah. instead of just busy. Yeah, it's it, you know, it makes a huge difference on how you feel about how much you have on your plate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I, I didn't invite you on to have a session, by the way. But the, um, <laughs> I'm quite happy to Listen, do a session live Phil, on air. Phil. <laughs> Many of the conversations I have turn into coaching conversations, <laughs> so <laughs> that's fine. Ask away. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. Well, before we get into any of that, let's yeah. go. Let's delve all the way back to the beginning. Okay. And because obviously, be, before all of the things that you're doing now, there's a whole story behind that uh, yeah. as well. So, really interested to understand mm-hmm. how did you get into hospitality in the first place, and yeah. uh, and just take it through from there. Yeah. So I studied. 
a very long time ago, studied a degree at Aston University in logistics. And so finished university and um, sought after a role in supply chain. And unintentionally, I stumbled on a role um, working for a company called Punch Supply Company, which was a joint venture of the Spirit Group, um, who are now um, owned by Green King and Punch Pub Company. So we were responsible for their procurement and supply chain. And that was my first role within the sector as a procurement, well, it wasn't procurement, actually, it was a a forecast and planning analyst um, on the food side of the business. And I was there for literally over a year. The business disbanded. I took redundancy. And it was at that point I realised as someone that loved food and drink that I could work within the sector with the educational background that I have and eat food and not be a chef. And so from there onwards, um, I stayed within the hospitality sector and my career grew from there, really. What what was it that um, that kind of attracted you into to the world of logistics in the first place? Oh, I mean, that was a fluke, <laughs> quite simply. Right. Um, it's often the case though, isn't it? So, and, 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 and it goes full circle in terms of me being a purpose-led individual. When I was at college, I studied media studies, psychology, which is me, you know, excelled in those areas, then mm. went on to study a degree in logistics. And honestly, I look back and it's, I think, due to coming from a really working class background and instead of pursuing a passion, I pursued what I think would secure me a stable job and steady income. So logistics was matched with business management. So I covered all the disciplines of business management and I was thinking practically and, and the logistics element. I mean, you know, my dissertation was to write a tender for a cinema business, which, you know, really coincidentally then played its part later on within my career as a procurement leader where logistics and distribution tenders make up a big part of what we do. So it was kind of accidental, to be honest. And I got really lucky that the degree I studied gave me a really great foundation for my career that I would move into. Yeah, it's often the way, though. I mean, there's um, a lot made of obviously having a grand plan as quickly as you can, uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But the reality is, is that more often than not, none of us are ready to make oh, that call sure. at the age that we're asked. Wholly agree, Phil. I say this all the time. At uh, 16, I I, I knew what I enjoyed, but I wasn't thinking career. At 18, had no bloody idea, to be honest. Yeah. And and that's why, yeah, that's why I think my career, I've I've been very lucky in terms of stumbling into a, a, a sector and a career that I thoroughly enjoy. And yeah, you know, it's, it's been an amazing two decades. Yeah. Okay. So talk us through some of the, the, the brands that you work with. How did yeah. you start climbing the ranks as it yeah. were? Yeah. Um, and so the first interesting one I'll tell you about was um, when Punch Supply Company disbanded, I directly approached Elior Contract Caterer and they actually created a role for me as a buyer. Okay. And that was a really great foundation for my career because what I really learned very quickly about buying and procurement is that you can be the best negotiator in the world, but if you can't work with and influence stakeholders at all levels, then you might as well pack up and go home. So I spent some time there. After that, I actually took two years out of the hospitality sector um, and worked for an automation and control business, which was great from a a structure perspective. Mm. And then went back to the spirit group as a purchasing manager Obviously, I was in a position where a number of my colleagues from Punch Supply worked at um, the Spirit Company, so, you know, could vouch for me and joined the business there. And that was back in 2007. And since that time, every role that I've taken thereafter, I've been headhunted or approached for. So I, you know, didn't strategically sit there and say, I want to be a procurement director in 10 years What's always been most important to me is that I'm working within a brand that I respect with people that I admire and continuous learning, actually. And so I was headhunted for the role at TGI Fridays, which um, I ended up hating. Really? Yeah, it was just... I'm glad I brought that up then in the the intro. Yeah, I mean, it, it um, it, it was just 
to move from a dynamic business like the Spirit Group with, you know, 700 pubs, 10 different brands, you know, it was just dynamic, ever-changing to a brand that pretty much is, is and was at that time very stagnant, not a lot changed. Strategic purchasing was possible, yes, but apart from that, I was just bored to tears. Um, right. And then I got found um, headhunted for a role. Um, so Shake Shack UK um, at the time hadn't arrived in the UK and I was part of the leadership team that brought Shake Shack to the UK. So I oversaw procurement and supply chain and worked that really That sounds a close. lot more interesting. Oh, it was just an amazing experience. I was there for four and a half years, worked really closely with Danny Meyer's team in New York. Yep and the franchise owners in Kuwait, an awful lot of travel. And it's the first brand that I worked for that I was a huge fan of their offering, their service and what they stood for. And Danny Meyer, um, amazing guy, uh, went to dinner with him actually um, a couple of times when I worked for the brand. And he works on the basis and the ethos that if you look after your people and you look after your guests, the profit will look after itself. Yeah. And um, he's got a book set in the table, which I, you know, I read on my first week. It was just a really an amazing experience to launch a brand that is, is just led by someone who's visionary and super talented. And I was there for right. four years, but the business just didn't grow at the pace intended or expected. And when you go from working for multi-site businesses that have anywhere up to 700 sites down to four, there just wasn't enough for me to, to continually be interested in, in what I was doing. And at that point, I got a call about the procurement director role at the Gordon Ramsay Group. Yep. And um, again, been a huge fan of Gordon um, for as long as I can remember. It was an amazing opportunity to again go in and build a team from scratch. So in the company history they'd never had a procurement department before and right. so a different type of product as well exactly I mean very diverse and dynamic business as in you know three Michelin star down to um, you know a pub in East London and I say a pub mm. but very much you know great quality food and so really dynamic business um, an opportunity to build a team in a, a pre-existing business and also a real opportunity to be able to, again, influence at all levels. So I wasn't on the exec team there, but I'm dealing with, you know, super talented sommeliers, uh, head chefs, bar managers that bring huge amounts of value to the party, but don't understand procurement and having to take right. them on a journey from having free reign to buy whatever they want, whether that is food, drink, and everything in between to actually now there's this woman who's based in head office who is not a sommelier or not a subject matter expert as they are and actually having to take my lead on where we buy products and what's best for the business. God, I bet you were popular. Well, I used to refer to myself as the witch. (laughs) (laughs) And and I say that, you know, in jest, because honestly, if I if I wasn't able to build really effective relationships with people in the business at all levels, it would have been impossible to implement anything. Yeah. So, you know, there was and some... that's the secret, uh, isn't it? It Especially really is. in a time of change where, you know, they, these guys have been used to doing something yep. in one way and then yes. somebody comes along and says, that's, that's great, guys, but um, we're <laughs> yep. going to change that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you definitely don't need to be a tyrant at that time, do you? Definitely not. And, you know, some of the projects were easier to implement than others, but it's all, it was all, it was all great fun. It really was. I had a a really good time there, learned a lot um, and developed an awful lot as well. Mm. And so at, at the end of 2018, I decided to leave that business. I was burnt out and wanted a break. And so up until that point, I'd never taken a career break and decided to take one. So I packed up and went to New York for about six weeks, then went to Spain, came back and uh, studied a diploma in life coaching. Right. The reason why I went down that route is even though I do love procurement, what I've always really enjoyed is helping and developing people. And I think that I have an innate ability to do so, but I just wanted to access tools, techniques that can really help and propel people forward. So I did that. 
Um, And then at the same time, the role at Corbyn and King came up and took that role and did a lot of the same in terms of team restructure. Really, you know, when, when I think about my career to date within procurement, it has been around building an infrastructure where necessary, but ensuring that the business that I am within is as profitable as it can be from a cost of goods perspective. And so my remit will uncover everything from encompass everything from wine spirits to energy to food to crockery cutlery the the, the whole shibudal really so yeah spent some time there which was good again 18 months and then decided to leave that business um in october of last year yep Dur- during the covid period and um my aim has always been to you know live a, a purpose-led life and a career that works for me personally and by works for me I, I mean that genuinely even though I get paid for free kind of occupations that I have I would actually do them all for free because I enjoy right. them that much well that I mean there's there's a purpose straight away right if, you've, yeah. if you're doing something that doesn't feel like work then exactly I'm not going to quote the cliche I'm not going to do it I'm just <laughs> not going to do it yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's true though. It really is. But, yeah. Really yeah. Is. Well, let's a couple of things in there. One of the things that yeah. I wanted to do was just explore a little bit around the world of procurement because yeah. it covers off quite a lot and perhaps more than people think. It does. So yeah. J- just give us a, a very quick overview of what, uh, and especially from your position as a you know yeah. director of procurement. Yeah. yeah. What fell within your remit? Yeah. Um, so broadly, procurement supply chain and quality assurance which would generally cover anything from CSR to sustainability to traceability within the supply chain and then all of the product categories anywhere that a business spends money would generally fall within my remit so food beverage energy IT crockery cutlery I I always say in in this real really simple way that any in any area of your business that you're spending money there's an opportunity to save money through effective procurement and all too often people assume that procurement is solely about price and I always say there's a triangle of success that any activity or initiative should touch on quality service and price because an effective deal or you know a, a procurement deal that's going to work on the longer term for your business has to tick all three boxes and not price alone. Yeah, I'm sure there's also an element of that it's got to work for the other side as well. Like I, I, I have this discussion with many people yeah. uh, around the fact that it's one thing to, to obviously get the best deal that you can, but it has yeah. to work for everybody that's sat at that table. Absolutely. And and stakeholder engagement is such a big part of of you know, what procurement is and, um, you know, to your point, is it operationally suitable? You know, can our marketing team work with the suppliers? Is there a story there? Obviously, from a finance perspective, super important from a, a cash flow, payment terms and actual cost of goods perspective. And yeah. procurement is really, I, I see it as a hub of a business. What's really interesting, Phil, is that a lot of the medium to small quality-led brands, restaurants in the UK miss a trick with procurement, either don't have someone in place or don't have someone in place that's at the right level that can really deliver the returns. And I get that it's a cost thing always, but I've always described myself as a volunteer because in any role that I have worked within, I 10 times overpay for myself, my salary and the salary of my team. Yeah. So it's not an on-cost to the business if it's effective. Yeah. Yeah, very good. I like that. That's a good pitch right there. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, okay, let's go into what you're doing now then. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. So you're still, you've still got your procurement head. Um, You've got a a life coach head as well. Um, And you also now got your inclusivity head as well. But as you said, three things that sounds like are really, really close to your heart. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and mm. and effectively, what you've now done is you set your life up to deliver these three things. Yeah, you know, on your terms, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about your because you set up Be Inclusive. Yeah. Just last year, in fact. I didn't did. You? Was, yes. 
was this something you had in your brain for a while? It is. It definitely yeah. is. And so, you know, throughout my career, I've often felt frustrated and annoyed that any decision making room that I've sat within, I've typically been the only person of colour within those rooms. Um, and, and likewise, hospitality always speaks very fondly about the diversity that exists. But what it fails to acknowledge is that if you are a person of colour, you tend to occupy roles within certain departments and a certain pay grade. And that for me is not diverse. Well, it's, it's not inclusion anyway. It might be diversity in a technical sense. And so not only were there lack of visible black or Asian role models for me throughout my 20 year career, but also there was a real lack of visibility of them anywhere. So procurement being right. a really outward facing role, I go to a lot of industry awards. I go to a lot of exhibitions, read a lot of industry press, and they all mirror the same problem. And so at the end of 2019, the idea, I, I came up with the idea and it started off simply as an Instagram and a visibility platform. But yep. what the COVID-19 lockdown period allowed me to do is really flesh out a business plan because ultimately, I think, again, with a procurement hat on, procurement background, I'm about results and I'm about being able to quantify the impact that you're able to have. And so the business plan that I fleshed out basically aligned several pillars to allow us to deliver our mission. And, and those pillars are um, diversity and inclusion consultancy. So we work with a lot of SMEs within hospitality, food and drink, and we deliver culture audits. We deliver a lot of workshops around talking about race, about anti-racism, about inclusive leadership. And we also act as an advisor for a number of businesses as well. So DNI is one pillar. The second pillar is learning and development. And that is all focused on upward social mobility for Black and Asian employees and entrepreneurs within the hospitality sector. Um, the first initiative that went live on that was last month was the Elevate Mentorship Scheme. And we currently have 22 mentees being mentored by some amazing talent within the sector. And I'm talking anyone from Jimmy Famuera, um, for, who works for the Evening Standard, to Jay Majoria um, of Jay Restaurants, just some really amazing people within the sector that are mentoring upcoming talent for six months. Right. And then last but not least, um, events is the third part of the business. And our events are centered in amplifying voices and using narrative as a, as a means of education. And hospitality is the vehicle for those events, really. And last but not least, I would add that all of the work that we do is underpinned by data and insight. So okay. end of last year, we conducted um, a survey called Inside Hospitality. And we're currently in the process of just fine tuning a white paper, which outlines the results of that survey and also has appropriate actions, next steps to take for organisations that want to do better and be better within incorporating inclusion, equity and diversity into their, their businesses moving forward. Brilliant. I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, this is on a lot of people's radars and agendas. It is, yeah. But they don't, I would imagine, necessarily know the best foot forward uh, yeah. in terms of how you go about uh, implementing a different strategy. Yeah, I think that... Um... You know, I've had many conversations about it um, with businesses that have got in touch or at events. And I would say that whilst it is different, I think that a lot of operators are viewing it in a very, very different way to gender diversity. And the reason why I say that is because some of the very same initiatives that have helped us to move forward on gender diversity, such as mentorship, such as sponsorship, um, such as having targets, such as understanding your data, the mm. same apply, the very same apply. But but there are nuances and there are some differences there. But but it's a question of often being asked is where to start. And my response is always start with where you are. So where are you now from a data perspective? Because until you really understand your culture and where you are now, it's really difficult to set targets on how you move forward. Absolutely. I think it, it's, I mean, it's great that um, this is taking a lot more front and centre approach now, but yeah. I, I think as well, probably from the, and I say this as somebody who's probably sits within the, the 
easiest demographic to exist in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's taken a series of pretty crap events it to has. actually put this on the, the, the agenda and a lot more it forceful. Has. It has, it really has. And, um, you know, all of the things that I'm talking publicly about now are conversations I've been having my entire life. Yeah. Um, but uh, it has taken a series of crappy events for this to to, to to actually be a conversation to be had. And I think that we're having the conversation, which is a first step forward, because prior to my business even existing, our sector was not having the conversation. Right. At all. I suppose that, that's step one, isn't it? To yes, start having sure. the conversation sure. frequently. For sure. Um, and then back that up with action. Exactly. Agree. Yeah, and um, mm. I I just I'm amazed that you know I'm a massive mm. sport fan, and yeah. the in the the sports world this still goes on to this day, and in fact in, yeah. in many ways it feels like it's getting worse. Yeah, um, it's just, it's just a societal issue, and you know I always think we we can we can look at different um, sectors within the the country, but there, there's no sector that's exempt. Unfortunately, it just shows up yeah. in very different ways. Yeah. So we as a country we've got a lot of work to do really have yeah but well mm. at least you're you're kind of leading the the discussion in in our space and the, um, the hospitality yeah. space sure. um which is great great I, I didn't want to make the podcast uh, about that wholeheartedly i think what yeah. you're doing is incredible it is part of your story going forward and that's um you know that's that's huge yeah. um and i wish you all the very best with that side Thank of you. of your of your life it's one side of your life. Let's talk about more about the the life coaching mm-hmm. side as well. Who are yeah. you engaging with at the moment? What's uh, what's the kind of where's your sweet spot with that? That's an interesting question. So, yeah. I since qualifying, I haven't actively sought out clients. They have found me via my network or referred or been referred to me, and you know I've never. I've never even, you know, designated or specified a niche, but who I, who I do coach is women, women in business. And um, as I said, they vary in terms of sectors. So I have clients who work in the beverage industry, in underwriting, in international travel. It really is far and wide reaching. The commonality is feeling stuck. Um, sometimes lacking confidence and often lacking clarity to move forward. And so coaching really is all centred on having a goal and a desire and wanting to move forward and needing help to get there. And I often describe myself as a thinking coach because, or a thinking partner, because coaching is really not about finding the answers for someone. It's helping your client find the answers themselves. Um, And so truly rewarding work. And um, that definitely is a part of my life. And I just sometimes sit back and think, I can't believe I get paid for this. Um, (laughs) Because I I really do enjoy it. I've met some really amazing people. um, And it's a really fulfilling part of my career. I can imagine. um, It must feel when you help somebody get past something. Exactly. Um, and that can be a small thing or a large thing, right? Yeah. But, but just yeah. something that's keeping them where they are. Yeah. I can imagine that when you, you see that moment of freedom in their eyes. Yes. Uh, and I say this as somebody who's been through life coaching um, yeah. from my own life wobbles. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that moment where you just become awake again. Where yes. If, if you see that in somebody, that must be yes. really amazing it is it really is I think um life coaching I will say is full of aha moments and they can act as an awakening for people to take action move in a different direction and think about themselves differently the other thing that I'd add about life coaching Phil which I think is just really valuable is very rarely in life do we have an opportunity to just sit and talk about ourselves without interjections, yeah. without opinions, just being able to talk openly. And that yeah. in itself is a, is a value because when you hear yourself say something out loud versus in your head, especially to someone else, it can sound very different. And so on a real base level, it's really great to have someone to talk to that is focused on you alone because we generally don't have that in life, no matter how great our friends and family are. Yeah. 
That's a good point. And yeah. um, well, you could argue that's exactly what this podcast is. <laughs> <laughs> me talking about my favourite subject, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you feeling any better? Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. And let's be, let's be clear as well. When we're talking about aha moments, we're not mm. talking about a, a 1980s boy band. <laughs> and I'm definitely aging myself here with that comment. Do you want music was great, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So uh, this is a question I'd, I always kind of go to, especially when talking mm. to people who are used to coaching others. Mm. Where do you go for mentorship? Mm-hmm. Who, yeah. who coaches you? So I do have my own coach and when you go through the coaching journey, you are encouraged for sure to embark on your own coaching journey because if I am charging for something that I see of value, why wouldn't I also access that myself (laughs) quite simply? And so um, I have an amazing coach and I also have two mentors as well because I am and always have been a serial self-developer. And, you know, I recognize my strengths, which generally multitasking is one. But I think it's, you know, irrespective of where you are within your career or where you are within life, there will always be people that can add value having walked the path before you and have experience in areas that your experience might not be extensive. So I hope that, you know, in 30 years from now, I still feel the same. Because for me, learning, especially from others, is just such a valuable a valuable asset that we can all have in our lives if we seek them out. Yeah. And so um, really endorse and encourage. And uh, it's, it's for that reason that we set up a mentorship scheme via, via Be Inclusive. Hugely, hugely valuable, valuable. And, you know, the other thing I'll also add is that, you know, we all have mentors. Either, you know, it starts with our parents if you look back at your life there will always be someone in your life that has been able to offer you guidance um, advice and yeah it's something that we need at the very beginning and I think it's something that we 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 should have consistently throughout our lives no man is an island no man or woman is an island (laughs) no indeed and I think this is also something that the that you have a different relationship with at different Mm. times of your life right I mean I when you're kind of in your your 20s and you feel like you can take on anything and the the mm. world is your oyster you yeah. you need the mentors to keep you in yeah. check and keep yeah. you grounded mm-hmm. then you kind of get a little bit of career maturity into your 30s and yeah. you need guidance in terms of okay what's next direction yeah. you know how, maybe how to handle things in certain ways etc yeah. etc and even mm. you know now as i i move into my 40s mm. i've actually now my big epiphany was we're no matter how long we do this game of yeah. life, yeah. we're never gonna know everything. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what are the where do I want to go mm-hmm. and what's my plan to get there and where yeah. are the gaps in my knowledge and capability? Yes. And I'm gonna go and seek a mentor to help me fill in those gaps. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is such a, a pragmatic way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even if you you know, whatever you're doing for, for 40 years. Yeah. I had, you know, 40, 50 years. I had um, Robin Shepherd from Bespoke Hotels on as one of my yeah. early guests in this yeah. series. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he still seeks mentors. Mm-hmm. And I that, I found that really valuable. Yes. To, and I suppose it's one of the reasons why the podcast existed in the first place was to yeah. highlight to people at whatever stage you pick this industry to go into, mm. you know, you're never going to know it all. So don't even pretend that you do. Yeah you know, seek as much guidance and help as you can and look at all these people who have made it in inverted commas yeah, who yeah. continue to do the same. Yes, it's very anyway, true. Anyway, that was, a, that was a bit deep. Uh, no, so I love a, it. A bit of a rant, actually. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Really do. Um, I think it's, it's, it's massively important and it doesn't have mm. to be, a, you know, a, a, an actual mentorship scheme it doesn't you know it, it can just have it be having a, a network of very useful people yeah. who can give you a different perspective on things yeah yeah i, I think that's, that's and actually yeah I, I agree and i think um you know many would be surprised at how many people are actually willing to just help you it makes us yeah. feel good when someone gets in touch and says oh you know can i have some advice can i pick your brains it is a stroke of the ego and people love that yeah. so um 
Absolutely. I think people are generally fundamentally kind. Yeah. And no more so than in hospitality when it's done correctly, because ultimately yeah. hospitality has its roots firmly in being kind to others. Yeah. And it's um, so, you know, it stands to reason if you need to ask for guidance mm. and help, it's going mm-hmm. to be pretty freely available. Yeah, for sure. But you've got to be it willing really to ask. You have. Yeah. And step. I suppose that the life coaching is, I mean, that's that first step, isn't it? Knowing it is. that you that you can't get to the answer yourself. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And you, you just can, need guidance to help you get yeah, there. Definitely. And, and actually, that comes back to your procurement days mm-hmm. <laughs> in a weird way, is that, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've a, bit, a small business might have set themselves up in a certain way. And all you've yeah. done really as a procurement individual is come in and coach them and guide them into doing something a yeah. bit different, which yeah. adds value to their, their business. Exactly. There's that common thread running through everything I do. <laughs> Yeah, it definitely really is. Yeah, feels yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, do you think that that's something that you've kind of always just naturally had, or is it something that came to you, you know, as you progressed through your career? It's mm, an interesting question. Um, I do ask them occasionally. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? When I think back, I think that over and above the procurement discipline or life coaching or anything else that I do, I've always loved working and connecting with people. And so I am, you know, an extrovert. Um, I get energy from others and working with others. And so I feel as though that has consistently been there in terms of my ability to influence has definitely evolved as my career has progressed. And, you know, with more experience gained and confidence gained, that has definitely evolved for sure. But who I am um, and who I show up as at work, which is myself authentically, has consistently always been there. And I always describe it that because I I know that there are many people that I've either encountered or know personally that don't always feel as though they can be themselves at work. And I've always said that, you know, if any of my family or friends were looking through a mirror uh, looking through a window and saw me at work, they would recognise Lorraine as she is. Yeah, and so I think that's yeah. that's a really understated quality, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I, I completely hear you. Mm. How many people behave a certain way because that's yeah. the way that they feel they should yes. behave? Yes. You know what? When I was at the Spirit Group, um, I went on a authentic leadership course, and it changed my life. It really did. Um, because I think actually even up until that point whilst I feel as though from a personal perspective and personality I showed up as who I was I did still have some kind of beliefs that there's a certain way I had to be in order to be a manager be a director and um, this this course just was was transformational in terms Mm. of how I looked at how I would move forward and it's also it's really informed how I lead uh, you know, any, anyone that's worked for me, actually, you know, nine out of 10 are still in touch with me. But I've always encouraged people to turn up as their authentic selves for work and, yeah. and really reinforce that your skills and your ability will help you to do your job effectively. But you don't have to change who you are. It might be a different path to someone else or, yeah. or taking a different route because of your personality style and, and how you like to work. But I, I really am not about putting round pegs in square holes. Is that the right? Yeah. Is that is that right? <laughs> round 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 peg? Yeah. You know what, what I mean. mean. Yeah. You know what I mean. I re- <laughs> I really just feel people flourish when they feel comfortable and they can be themselves, which again talks to the be inclusive hospitality piece. Because if 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 an environment or culture or leader and all of those things around you suggest that it's not a okay to be yourselves, people are not high performing. And they yeah. generally don't stay. No, I, it, that's the beginning of the end, for it sure. It really is, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, we, you know, you could, we could probably all recount moments where we've yeah. been led by people who lead exactly, mm. you know, through authenticity mm-hmm. and, yes. uh, you know, and they don't, your personality is actually one of the reasons why you're here. You know, yes, it, it's exactly. not, we're not trying to cookie cut and uh, yeah. put, you know, just because the last person had X, Y, Z personality. Yeah yeah etc etc but then uh, you know we've all worked for people who want you to conform to a certain way yes and that's the the, if if you're stifling the individual Mm -hmm. then you're not getting the best out of the individual you're not you're not you know you know 
I mentioned about studying psychology, understanding people and the way people work is so essential. Yeah. You know, so essential for effective leadership and effectively running a business as well. And sometimes I think undervalued. Yeah, mm. totally. And the, um, mm. But I think as well, a lot of leaders, especially in, in hospitality, which kind of mm-hmm. went through an explosion um, mm. in you know, in the aftermath of the 2008-9 crash. Yeah, yeah. You know, so many people were asked to, uh, because out of necessity, they're asked to lead before they were probably ready. Yes. And that, le- that leads yeah. to other issues in the sense that if they're under stress and they're, they can't perform at the level that they need to, then that rubs off on yeah the the people that they're leading and so on mm-hmm. and so forth and you mm-hmm. end up in a high stress yeah. uh, situation uh, across the business whereas if we just take a moment mm. to give people the tools they need to succeed and part of that is just letting them be yeah. themselves god i Agreed. am ranting today i'm an i geez, <laughs> what is going on this is not this is not this the normal podcast is it not? um that's good but um <laughs> but yeah no i'm a i'm a massive believer in letting people be mm. who they are i don't yeah. see why you should get in the way of that yeah i totally agree yeah mm. yeah well well let's lighten it up mm-hmm. have you um <laughs> well, not that this is not a light subject because actually <laughs> you know i think it's massively important in mm. in business it is yeah and uh, you know personalities it's what makes us unique right yeah why why do we try and stop people being unique yeah Exactly. It's all right. Um it's a wonderful thing. So from your, your career so far, are there yeah. uh, are there any amusing anecdotes and stories that uh, that you can mm. recount or moments where you were out of your depth and mm. all of these lovely things? Let me tell you, one one memory that has stuck with me forever is um when I joined Punch Supply Company. So I was twenty one at the time and never worked in the food industry before, never went to a tasting before. Mm. and so I was super excited to be in a room eating for free you know I love food always have yeah and uh you know my parents are Jamaican and it's a big part of of our culture so I love food anyway so turned Mm. up to this tasting which actually in hindsight I had no business being at because it didn't really (laughs) affect it didn't really affect the supply chain but I had a good relationship with the senior buyer at the time and she invited me along anyway right so you know, the development chef, the buyers there, they're talking about the food. And I think it was like a new menu development session. And anyway, it got to the, the point of tasting the food. And so obviously I topped in. And yeah. I'll never forget Bob Durkin, who was the menu development manager at the time, said to me, Lorraine, this is a tasting, not a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was mortified. But that that really stuck with me because I found it hilarious at the same time. And this was me, 21. I didn't know that, you know, tasting, you taste and that's it. I was like really tucking in. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's a full um, plate of food for me. Exactly. And yeah. so um, that has really just stuck with me. It really has. Oh, that highlights the um, you don't know what you don't know, right? Exactly. I just, I just thought it was like, let's eat. I didn't realise it was like take a nibble. Yeah, <laughs> so. but we all we all make these little errors of judgment because yeah. we don't know any better, right? And that's yeah. inevitable part of your development. Of um, course, of course. And you, you you probably didn't do that again, or maybe I you did. did yeah, you... Phil. <laughs> listen, so I mean, one of the part I didn't say about procurement. So one of the things that I love about my role is that I get to eat and drink as part of my job. Um, At the Gordon Ramsay Group, we had a supplier base of, I'd say, about 50 wine suppliers. And we did a a consolidation exercise um, and reduced that down, um, did a big tender. We had tastings of, I think, probably 200 wines. And bearing in mind, I am, you know, my palate is not trained to taste wine. But you better believe Lorraine was in the room drinking the wine. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, needs must, right? Needs must. (laughs) Exactly. So um, I, I love the fact that I get to eat and drink most amazing food and beverage and get to travel as well. I've been to, you know, all over the, the world, traveling within the buying capacity. And it's something that whilst I was embarrassed at that time, I didn't take on board. A, a food tasting, I still eat. Probably more right. than I should. Because I love food and drink. <laughs> yeah, really well, why do. not, right? 
I, but yeah. I mean, this is also the 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 whole reason why Greg Wallace still has a job on yep. Master Chef the Professional. Exactly. exactly. Because you know he's not a professional chef. Yeah. But he has a he's a got a consumer's palate. He has. Um, you know, yes. we're not all trained palates. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. You know, so you've actually that your opinion. Yes. In that transaction yeah. counts just as much as somebody exactly. who knows what they're talking about. And Phil, it's so funny you've said that because that's exactly what I would say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I, I, well, we'll call it. We'll get it into the Oxford Dictionary that it's yeah, called the Greg Wallace palate. I yeah. think we should. I think we should. <laughs> Brilliant. No, that's great. And do you know what I love about that is that that kind of humility of mm. you, do you know what? Sod it. I'm gonna do it anyway. Cause, yeah. Because I like I like doing it. I do. No, that's do. that's great. So you've got you've got three hats that you have to yeah. wear. Yeah. What's next? What's the, the does the next year hold for each of those hats? It's hmm, an interesting question. Um mm. I've done, done well I today, think... haven't I? You have. <laughs> Anyone would think that you host podcasts and talk to people all the time. <laughs> it's not normally this informed. <laughs> um, and so with life coaching, genuinely, that just continues to move forward really fortunately. And so I'll continue to do more coaching. Hopefully I'll get some men at some point. Um, but, uh, yep. you know, just continue to help people to move forward. And, and that is wonderful. It's really flexible as well. So I, I generally do that at any time of the day. From a if you need a, a man guinea pig, by the way, I'm, I'm yeah. right here. Oh, okay, cool, cool. You know, I find it interesting, Phil, actually, and just going off on a tangent slightly, you mentioned that you had a coach. Um, I'd never set out to only coach women, but I mm. never, ever, ever get men uh, getting in touch. And question really? for you, actually, was your coach a yeah. man or a woman? It was a woman. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. good to hear. Just interesting. Yeah, just the, um also responsible for one of the most bizarre things mm-hmm. that's ever happened to me mm. just when um we did a, a little bit of hypnotherapy okay. uh, which i've never done before never okay. done before yeah and i the uh, the physiological things that were going on whilst I, we were going through this hypnotherapy mm-hmm. I, I stay with me today i mean I, you Can know you imagine my my arms were 50 foot long as far as i could tell and they, they, you know, I was ca- I was carrying massive weights on the end of the the oh, arms wow. it's just so weird I can't it, it's very difficult to to kind yeah. of explain what you go through when yeah. when somebody uses some some quite simple and straightforward techniques to to bring mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. out of you that, that needs to be brought out but oh, wow. I would advocate to anyone yeah to uh, you know if you're stuck in any kind of form mm-hmm. is just go and speak to somebody who knows I what you're talking about I agree. I agree. And so from a consultancy perspective, um, I work with quality led businesses. I mentioned I've got three clients at the moment and will continue to do so because, you know, I'm, I'm sure many operators can agree with this, that there's still an awful lot of uncertainty about the top line um, yeah. as we reopen the sector. But what you can control is the bottom line. And yeah. so there's huge amounts of opportunity to really save some money whilst adding value to your brands and collaborating with suppliers, which for some brands has not been explored. So I'll continue to do procurement. Um, absolutely love it. and working with really great value-driven brands. And then Be Inclusive Hospitality, we have loads of ambitions and plans um, for that business. We obviously want to continue to grow the DNI piece of the work, um, the, the piece of the business, just because of the impact, the really far and wide reaching impact it can have. But really importantly, we'll be um, developing a supplier network, for instance. And what that is, is we've had quite a few businesses get in touch who are keen to diversify their supply chains, but don't know where to start. And okay. about 20, 25% of our community, our network are entrepreneurs. So brand owners, you know, anything from spirits, coffees, teas, food brands. And so behind the scenes, we're currently building a supplier network and we'll launch that this summer. Because we right. want businesses to be able to take a multi-pronged approach to DNI and not simply just looking forward uh, around diver- um, employees um, and work yeah. environments, but also how they spend. So be inclusive, we'll continue to grow, have more of an impact. We are a social enterprise, so we do measure and have to legally report our impact once a year. And yeah. so we're just going to do a lot more and grow the team as well, which will be essential for us to sustain that. 
Yeah, I, I have to take my hat off to you because I mean, you know, for something that you you formed in earnest last October, November, ten months ago. Well, it was ten months ago um, that we incorporated, but the real work right. started, I'd say, in September, October, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, and but now, um, you know, and and don't take this the wrong way. You're mm-hmm. everywhere. You know, you're. I know. Uh, I, I, it's brilliant. Um, I know. But, but that's clearly, I think, because you've you've absolutely struck a chord. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, what I've I love about you and your message is mm-hmm. that there is absolutely, and this comes right back actually to what you were talking about when you went mm-hmm. into Gordon Ramsay and you had to kind mm-hmm. of change hearts and minds about way things the ways that, that things were done mm-hmm. is that you're you're not dictating anything to anyone mm-hmm. one you're letting the data kind of talk for itself yes, but also sure. then you know it comes back to that kind of keep everybody at the table for a negotiation yeah yeah for um, sure you know and let's mm-hmm. let's keep that inclusive argument as inclusive as possible yeah yeah you know sure. to make to make proper change you need to keep everybody at the table not alienate people yeah absolutely do but I think what's really important as well is I'm really pragmatic in recognizing that not everyone's going to come on the journey here and now and so you know our our focus is working with businesses that get it or are open to explore Um, Mm. and those that are not on the journey yet we, we don't engage with I'm not here to you know to act as an evangelist to persuade people that it's the right thing to do but what I am keen to do as you said is using data using narrative ensure that people understand where we are versus where they could be and the value add that it brings to their business mm, absolutely mm. wonderful well thank you very much that's um no i know problem. that the, the um i was conscious of the fact that i wanted to to, to cover the the be inclusive but i was yeah. also conscious of the fact when before we turned the microphone on and we had yeah. a, a chat a couple of weeks ago mm. is that we did talk about the fact that we didn't want to make it just about that because there's a whole yeah. story behind everything else so i yeah. hope that we we were successful in doing that mm-hmm. i've thoroughly enjoyed the chat i love y- y- the kind of the richness that you have in your life at the moment of all of these things that you can positively affect yeah. uh within people and businesses and yeah. um if somebody wants to get a hold of you to discuss anything that we've discussed today what's yeah. what's the best method for them to well, do that well phil you said i'm everywhere at the moment they just need to google yeah, do, <laughs> and you actually. know what just on that last year it was just i went through anxiety like every time i saw my face pop up because really it it, it wasn't part of the plan obviously you know i'm yeah. the founder of the business and it comes part and parcel but i didn't do this so that my face would be on bloody google and it now is so uh, the the best place is linkedin or i'm on social media but genuinely if you google me then you'll you'll find a way to contact me yeah (laughs) yeah brilliant well thank you very much for for coming on and sharing your story and if there's anything that this humble little podcast can do to to aid your cause then uh, then we're right behind you oh thanks phil appreciate that you're very welcome have a good one yeah you too take care bye-bye And there we have it, a fantastic journey so far from Lorraine. Head over to bihospitality.co.uk to find out more about the exceptional work that she and her teams are doing around inclusivity. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.